So tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And so we are in 1 Kings, right? And we're in chapter 16. Nope, we're in chapter 17. So tonight, we're going to pick up in 1 Kings 18. If you remember, see what we're talking about. Elijah. 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 And what did we start off last week learning about Elijah? He's a man. He's a man like us. Yeah, he's a man just like us. There's a scripture, right? And we're going to go to it in James 5. That we kind of are basing this out of. It says, Elijah was as human as we are. That's the new living for you. So it's making it like super common language. He was as human as we are, yet he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, and none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield crops. And so that's what James says about Elijah. And, and he's saying it because he's like, Elijah was just a dude, but he prayed, and God did amazing things. And so last week, we looked at 1 Kings 17, which is when Elijah walked up to King Ahab and he said, there's going to be a drought. There's not going to be any rain. Right? And that's kind of where our story started. Then he went on the run and he was fed by birds, which is kind of crazy. We're not there. Um, he was fed by birds. And then um, then he went and he stayed with the widow. Right? And the Lord supernaturally provided for them. So, here's this thing in the Bible. is sometimes... We, we see these chapters and we see these verses, and so we're, we're turning one page, right? We're going from verse, or from chapter 17 to chapter 18. But I need you guys in your minds to think three years are behind those page, or between those pages. When we turn to the next chapter, okay, in the Bible, there's three years there. So you got to, like, in your mind, kind of stretch it out. And that's why when we read the Bible, it's really important to pay attention to the details, Right? Because it's so easy to think like, man, Elijah was being supernaturally provided for with this widow, and then her son died, and then he prayed, and he came back to life, and then the next day, right? (laughs) Um, And we missed that this was a process, that Elijah was living a normal human life in normal human time where things didn't happen just like this. And, And that's really important, because if we don't pay attention to that detail, then we think because we read the Bible, maybe we read through chapters fast, we think things happen just like this, and then they don't happen like that for us, we're like, how come God doesn't bless me? Well, he does. Just, you, you feel the leaf with you, right? When you turn the page, you don't feel that three years, right? You're not like, right? You don't feel it. And, and so we gotta know the three years have passed, but we're gonna jump in, um, and we're gonna look at what happens with Elijah next. And, so tonight, we're going to read a whole other chapter of the Bible, right? Cool. So you get to say, after last week and this week, if you're a book, I've read two chapters of the Bible, right? Yeah. That's really cool. And some of you guys hopefully read more, but if you haven't, you're like, I've read two chapters of the Bible this month. It's pretty cool. Um, so jumping in at um, 1 Kings 18.1. It says, later on, in the third year of the drought. So here we see, last time he walked in the kings, that there was going to be a drought. And we're in the third year of the drought. The Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him, I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So 
We know it's been three years, and God tells Elijah it's time to go meet with the king again. It's time to go talk to him. And then it tells us that the famine had become very severe. So people are starving, right? And um, and, and we kind of have to realize in that three years, like, we can't rush God, right? Famine's a big deal. It's like people are starving, crops are dying off, right? That God was trying to, to teach them and to get their attention because they were in idolatry. They were worshiping idols. So the Lord, through this famine, is trying to get the people's attention and be like, turn back to me, Okay. That's what the famine's about. And so it had become severe. In verse 3, because of the famine severe, Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. And then it gives us this little side story about Obadiah. It says, Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah hid a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. That's a little side thing, but it's important for later. It's an important detail. Ahab said to Obadiah, We must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went the other way by himself. Okay, what's wrong with that? <laughs> So, here's what's funny. We just read the famine severe. People are dying. Right? What is Ahab worried about? He's worried about his horses. Okay, so his priorities are maybe a little out of whack. Right? He's like, I don't want my animals to die. And the whole time, his kingdom is like suffering and starving to death. Um, so he's a little... It's a little off his priorities, okay? And um, so, so we kind of need to know that, and, and that's kind of the Lord's trying to get the king's attention. He's trying to get the people's attention. Verse 7, it says, As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming towards him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground before him. Is it really you, my lord? Elijah asked. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go tell your master, Elijah is here. And then we have this kind of funny story. We'll talk about it in a minute. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested, what harm have I done to you that you're sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time he was told, Elijah isn't here. King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear to the truth of his claim. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. But as soon as I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. And when Ahab comes and cannot find you, he will kill me. Yet I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the prophets of the Lord, and I hid a hundred of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water? And now you say, go tell Ahab your master Elijah is here. Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. Right? So... This guy, he loves the Lord, but he's maybe a little practical. And, and we learn some context of what has happened in this three years since this famine started, right? Famine started after Elijah came to King and he said, there's going to be famine, right? And then apparently, in that three years' time, the king has looked for Elijah. He's tried to find him, okay? And apparently, he's tried to find him to the point that he's made these other kings and other kingdoms swear that if they're lying, he's going to kill them. 
right? I don't really know how he's going to do that because people are starting to, but <laughs> he needs to make home. Obadiah believes him, right? So he's a little worried. Um, but, you know, like we don't really know really why he's worried or, or what. And the Bible doesn't give us any commentary on like whether this is right or wrong. It's just kind of what happens. Um, but Elijah tells him like, nah, I'm not going to disappear. Okay, I'm not going to be hidden. So in verse 15 it says, Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? So that's a fun little, that's a fun little greeting, right? Like, how do you feel? <laughs> If you walk up to somebody and somebody's like, you. Right? Um, that's, that's just not the greeting anybody wants, right? But that is that is how he gets greeted. Um, so we kind of we kind of see this really awkward exchange, right? Ahab says, Is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? In verse 18. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you refuse to obey the commands of the Lord, and you worshiped the, worshiped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So, in this, we kind of we get a little bit more context. Who made trouble for Israel? Was it Elijah? No. No. Did Elijah send the drought? No. No. God sent the drought, right. Elijah prayed to the Lord, and then he announced that the drought would come, but Elijah didn't do the drought, right? Like, even if you're a godly person, you can't just be like, it's not going to rain now. Like, I could say that. Is it going to happen? No. No, God has to do it, <laughs> right? Now, if God says it, and I, and I report it to you, then it'll happen, right? But if I just say, it's not going to rain anymore, <laughs> it's not likely to happen, right? So God had done this. And we talked about last week, he did it because in the Old Testament, in the books of the law, which these people would have known, we don't know because we're a little removed from it, but they would have known that the consequence of idolatry that it says in the Bible is that there's going to be drought, right? So, so this drought was a sign to the people that like, you're sinning and you need to stop. And, and it was actually God being true to his word that he had said if they go into the sin of idolatry, there's going to be a drought, right? Um, so we see that Ahab, he's married to this lady, Jezebel. She has a lot of prophets of Baal, who is a false god, and Asherah, who is another false god, right? And she's kind of like um, spearheading the worship of Baal and Asherah and these false gods in Israel, right? And so kind of like an important side thing. Now you're just kind of like, who you date Mary? Um, if it's like a person that's worshiping false gods or like totem poles, maybe run. Don't marry that person. Um, so, so just like a thing. Um, but, but it wasn't Elijah that had caused this, right? And and so he decides we're going to settle a question, right? And the question is going to be who is the true God? So he tells Ahab, get all the prophets, get all the people. We're going to meet at Mount Carmel. Okay, so in verse 20 it says this. Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel, and then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Right? And so I think this is the question to us tonight as well. Is how long will you waver? Right? And what is wavering? It's, it's not picking a side. And so, you guys, I have this example of wavery this, this week. Um, so, I really like chocolate. Does anybody else like chocolate? Yeah. Okay, I really like chocolate, and I was having a super stressed out day. There have been a lot of those. And he said, this had a really icky week in his prayer. Like, I was like, in my head, like, me. Um, but I was walking up there, so I was just thinking, like, that you think. <laughs> right? But, but so the other day, he was going to the store, and he said, can I get you something? And I said, I want dark chocolate. Right? He said, what dark chocolate thing do you want? Right? Because there's many things. There are many kinds of dark chocolate, right? There's dark chocolate bars. There's things dipped in dark chocolate, right? I mean, it's endless. And I was like, because I didn't know, right? Like, I could have dark chocolate espresso. I could have dark chocolate Hershey bar. I could have dark chocolate almonds. And so, in this case, it really doesn't, in the face of eternity, matter what dark chocolate thing I picked. I didn't pick one I sent him to the store and he came back with three. So he did pretty good, right? And so like when it comes to chocolate, it maybe doesn't matter if you waver, especially if your husband's awesome and he springs you like. So he brought me chocolate covered almonds. Um, he brought me a Hershey bar, a dark chocolate Hershey bar, and then he brought me dark chocolate Oreos, which I didn't know existed, but they're amazing. Um, they're limited edition, but like, they're like, fudge in the middle. Oh, okay. So like, in that case, wavering didn't, like, I mean, I'm not going to stand for God and it's going to be like, Oreos or almonds, you know, like, but there are instances when wavering matters, right? But it was really funny because I was like, oh, I know I'm talking about this. And I, I, like, in that moment when we said, what do you want? I was like, I've literally been through like. Um, I can't. I couldn't pick. I was. I know I want chocolate. But I don't know what I want as far as chocolate goes, right? But I really believe that that in all seriousness, the Lord has this question for us: How long will you waver? How long will you stay on the fence? Right? And how do the people answer? They didn't. It says, "Yeah, they didn't." So they didn't say a word. And um, do you know the easiest way to say no is to say nothing, right? But if you say nothing, it's definitely not a yes. It's definitely not a yes. And sometimes, like in life, when people are calling you to make a choice, y'all, especially for the Lord, and it's like, what are you going to do? Man, we hesitate and say nothing, right? But God, God knows our heart, and he knows if, if our saying nothing is like, waiting on the Lord to speak to us, and he knows if our saying nothing is like, well, I really know that I don't want to, I don't want to do the godly thing, right? And I would rather do that. So I'll just say nothing, right? But like, when we say nothing, that's really a no, because it's definitely not a yes, right? It's that indecision place. So if we're going to say, I'm going to follow God, how hard would it be just to say, God, he's the God, I'll follow him, right? They don't. They just stand quietly. Um, so they're not making up their mind. So this is where we get to the contest, right? And this is why we're going to see how details are important to you here in a second. Um, 
So verse 22, Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left. Is that true? No. Because we just, we just heard about Obadiah and 100 people they hit, right? But, but Elijah, he's been on the run for a very long time, right? He's literally been fed by birds and miraculous widow provisions for like three and a half years. Um, so, so he's maybe feeling isolated, but, but just sometimes we need to keep that in perspective. Um, he says, I'm the only prophet of the Lord he's left, but Baal has 450 prophets. And then here's the contest he proposes. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood on their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar and not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by setting fire to the word to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. So like, this is what he proposes. He says, Prophets of Baal, there's four hundred and fifty of you guys, you're gonna get a bull, you're gonna cut it up. This is how they did sacrifices and worship in, in these days in ancient Near East, okay? You're going to cut it up, you're going to put it on the altar, and then you're going to pray. You can't do anything but pray, and we're going to see if your God answers. And then I'm going to do the same thing over here, and I'm going to pray, and we'll see who answers, right? And the people agree. They agree to this contest. And this isn't really just about, like, who can pray the hardest, right? And it's not really about even the sacrifice so much as it's about who is God, and Elijah has decided, we're going to settle this. We're going to settle who the true God is. Right? Because whoever the real God is, he deserves the worship. And if it's not a real God, it does not deserve, he does not deserve the worship. Okay? So they all agree to this contest. They all, they're like, cool, let's do it. So we're going to read about the prophets of Baal first. Right? In verse 25 it says, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. There are lots of you guys. Just go ahead and let you go first. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime. Y'all, that's a while. From morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. So, like, they're, they're like, working up a sweat. Okay? Like, they are getting some exercise. And it says, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he's a god. And he says, perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Right? Maybe he's away on a trip. Or maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So he's like making fun of them, but he's driving home the point that like he's a god, right? So if he's a god, he can hear you. So he's like, maybe he's busy, maybe he's asleep, maybe he's in the bathroom, right? Maybe he's got a reason he's not answering. Call out. So he's mocking them, but he's kind of like drawing out the fact that this is this is foolishness. Um so they shouted louder and louder, following their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushed out. It says that was normal. It's not normal to me, but that was normal to them. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. 
So you have to think about this. These guys, they start in the morning, and they're like calling on Baal, right? And this goes on for hours, and there's many of them. So this is like some kind of racket. And they're calling out for hours, and they're dancing, and they're screaming, and they're cutting themselves. And this goes all day. So we've done like a full work day, right? With no, no stopping. A full work day of like, they have just worked themselves into a frenzy, calling on bail, and nothing. Nothing. Okay? Their God didn't answer. He didn't. He was silent. Probably the reason he didn't answer is because he wasn't there to begin But he didn't answer. Okay? So then we're going to read about what Elijah does. So this is the time of the evening sacrifice. So they've hit evening time now. It says, Then Elijah called the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took twelve stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. So he's rebuilding the altar of the Lord, and the, the people would know this, that like these twelve stones, they symbolize who they are. Because they're Israel, they're the people of God, they're twelve tribes, and they would know what he's doing. And um, he's rebuilding this, and he gets it all ready. And it says, then he said, fill four large jars with water, and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After he had done this, after they'd done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. So like, it's what? Fair. This is the Jackie commentary on that part. It's wet. <laughs> he cut it up, and now the wood is wet. And does wet wood burn? No. No. Okay. It doesn't burn. So verse 36. At the usual time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. And then just to finish off our section, it says, Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them. And Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. He did that because they were leading the people away from God. Okay? Um, and that was like how they were to handle that at the time. But do you guys see Elijah repairs the altar? He said a simple prayer. And when you consider that these other guys had prayed for like probably about eight hours straight, and then he just walks up and he's like, Hey God, the God that our people have followed forever. Would you please prove that you're the Lord and that I'm serving you? And like, fire from heaven comes like that. Right? And, and God answers him. Um, and so, Elijah, he was demanding an answer between Baal and the God of Israel. Who is the God? Right? And God answers. So immediately the people respond. 
because they see this and they know. And like what we maybe don't get from this, but but if you've read through the Old Testament, you'll remember, is like there's two other times where fire comes from heaven and lights a sacrifice on fire. The first one is when they dedicate the tabernacle, and the second time they dedicate the temple. Every time it's a symbol of God's blessing on his people and his being with his people. So like this is a powerful sign. And them being Israelites, they would have remembered that. And they're like, man, like God answered, right? And he answered fast. Mm-hmm. Baal, he did not answer. He did not do anything. Um, so Elijah, in his prayer, the one thing that really sticks out to me is, he's, is he says, prove so that the people will know that you're the Lord. Right. He's not really doing this for a big show. He's not doing this even to prove that, like, he's this awesome man of God. He's doing this because he wants God to prove to the people, I'm the true God, so that they'll follow him. Right? Because they've been wavering. They've been going to God and Baal and God and Baal. If you read through Old Testament, that's the history of Israel. They're kind of going back and forth and back and forth. And I think it's a very human epidemic because we still do it. Right? But he's trying to get them to see that God, he's the true God. And so in this prayer, he's basically saying, you can't serve God and Baal. You can't serve God and Asherah. Um, and we talked about that last week. We can't have God and anything, right? Anytime it's God plus something, like we've ventured into idolatry because God doesn't have the first place in our heart. So... Um, I found this quote. It's by a theologian whose last name is Davis. He says this. says, theology leads to discipleship. Commitments have consequences. If you don't know what theology is, right? It's what we believe about God. So what we believe about God leads to discipleship, how we live for God. So if we believe he's real, we believe he's able, we believe he's strong, we believe he's the way maker, if we think, we believe he loves us, that's going to be reflected and how we walk in our life, right? And so if we're walking in our life and it's not reflected, we might need to go back and ask, what do I really believe, right? Because those two, they're gonna be congruent. One's gonna reflect the other. Um, So what Elijah's doing is he is calling the people to actually follow God. And that may not sound very significant, but how many times do we fail to actually follow God? Like a lot of times, just talking and one-on-ones and, and through our years of like ministry, we're like, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. I love him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's awesome. He's like, do you really love Jesus? Like, where, where is that shown in your life? Uh, right? And so, so sometimes we have to actually follow God. We have to actually love Jesus. Um, and Jesus says something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's really important when you're reading the Old Testament that if there's an echo of it in the New Testament, you should look at that and um, consider it. He says this in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And I think that's really interesting. So in the Old Testament, it was God. And who are we talking about? They right? God and Baal, God and Asherah. It was like a God made of wood, right? New Testament, Jesus makes it a little bit more contextualized for us today. You can't serve God and money, right? You can't serve, I mean, that could say God and status, right? You can't 
you can't serve God in those things. And I don't know about you guys, but like a giant wooden statue, like that doesn't entice me to serve it today, right? But when I have to make a choice between doing things God's way or doing things where like I have enough so I can afford for like my family to eat, and that that's that's where it gets real, right? But we can't we can't serve both. Um, so Elijah asked, "Who will you serve?" Their answer was silence. Like we said before, science, silence is the easiest way to be non-committal, right? It's the easiest way. And sometimes that's wise, but when it comes to God, it's not wise to be non-committal. We have to make a choice. And Elijah's calling them to make a decision, a real decision, on who they will follow. Um, and, and you guys, I think that's so reflected today, because uncertainty like, is almost held up as a virtue. Right? Like, there's times where to be uncertain is more virtuous than it is to be to be sure, right? Like, it's not popular to be like, I'm sure that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So if you don't know Jesus, you can't get into heaven. That certainty is not popular, right? But uncertainty is where you're like, I'm sure everyone who's good will be okay, right? And, and always surely lead to the good place. Really like a TV show, but like, <laughs> I think it's really fun to watch it long enough. It shows how that never works. Um, but but like, that's popular. It's so popular to say that like, well, anything goes and be uncertain and like, I can't say what's best. Like that right now in our culture is held up as a virtue, but God doesn't call that a virtue. He calls that uncertainty. Um, and so faith in God, if we have true faith in God, it's going to give us confidence. And I don't know about you guys, but to stand up against 450 other people who are saying, like, worship this God, worship Baal, he's the right way, and to be, like, one person alone in that, go before a king, and then stand before the people and trust that God will answer, you have to be certain, right? You have to trust that God. Um... But Elijah, he has true faith in God, so he has confidence. And so sometimes with us, we want to worship God on Sunday or Thursday night, but when it comes to finances or politics and international conflicts, we want to defer to conventional wisdom and what other people think. Right? Because we're like, well, God, he's great, but in this, in this time and in this box, but he's got to be the God of our whole life. If God is God, then we must submit to him and surrender every area of our lives to him, not just bits and pieces. He wants the whole. So the contest, we said it's about who is really God. It's also about whose God really answers prayer. Because the God of the Bible, he hears and he answers prayer. So we're going to contrast their prayers for a minute, and we'll look at the end of this chapter. So the prophets of Baal, there's no answer, Right? And like we said, they work up a sweat. They're in a total frenzy, calling out to God, and he does not answer. And that shows us the emptiness of false religion, right? That there are many religions out there, but a lot of them, I mean, and even, you meet the people, they work harder, they act nicer, they live more virtuously, because, like, they're working for it, but it's so empty, right? And, like, so we would, we should out of our love for God, work hard and live virtuously and love well, right? But that's not, that's not what earns it. 
It's just through what Christ has done. So they work up this whole sweat, and God, their God doesn't answer. Elijah prayers, prays a simple prayer, and God answers. Because prayer isn't about length or volume or eloquence. It's about praying to the right God with sincerity. Right? So you don't really have to have the right words. You don't have to have the right phrases. So if you stand up and you're the most eloquent prayer, I don't know if you can tell from the way I'm talking tonight, I am not. Words are hard and I stumble over them and half of them come out of my mouth wrong, right? So I'm not an eloquent prayer, but some people are. And they stand up and pray. If you stand up and you're just like, God, I want to know you more. Right? Does he accept both of those prayers? Yeah, he accepts both of those prayers. It's not about length, volume, or eloquence. It's praying about the right, praying to the right God with sincerity. And Jesus talks about this too, same chapter as the other one in Matthew 6, 7 through 8. It says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered by merely repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. And I have to wonder if Jesus' audience thought back to the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal when they heard this. Because it went on and on and on. Right? But it was the wrong God. And, and so they just went on and on, and it's like, he's like, that's not why God hears. God hears because you're talking to him, and you're sincere. Um, so they had prayed long, but Elijah made a heartfelt 30-second prayer, and that was all it took. You can't manipulate God with gimmicks. He was drawn instead to the humble and heartfelt prayer of Elijah. So some applications from us, for us from Elijah's prayer I think these are up there. Um, and so, as I said last week, when we look at Elijah, not only do we care about this really cool man of God, but he's also a dude like us. And we can learn a lot about prayer. Because for all the really cool, miraculous things God did, he was a man of prayer. And so we can kind of take these and we can apply them to our life too. So the first thing is we need to have a relationship with the living God. If we don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then, like, we're not going to be praying to right God, okay? So, like, that's what we need for effective prayer. The second one is to seek the glory of God. Because Elijah, when he's praying, he's not praying so that he'll be cool or God will just answer to validate him. He's, he's praying that God would be glorified so that people will see that he's the true God and they'll follow him and worship him, right? The third thing is we can pray for rebels to turn to God. Because he prays for the people, they're away from God, they're not living for God, but he's praying that they'll come back, right? He wants them to know God, and the fourth thing is pray with sincerity, right? Because if you're praying and you realize, hey, my heart isn't in this, maybe like pause and, and just stop and be like, hey, God, help, help me to be my right? Because I think God would prefer like two minutes of true, sincere prayer than us just going on and on. Um, and so we're going to look at the end of this chapter because I think it's important in talking about prayer to kind of look at the first prayer and then the second prayer when this drought ends. So we're going to do it and then we'll talk about it and then we'll pray. In verse 41 it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go look out toward the sea. And the servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him, Go and look. 
Finally, the seventh time the servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot, go back home, and if you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Soon the sky was black with clouds, and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Um, so, in the first prayer that we just talked about a minute ago, it was a 30-second heartfelt prayer, right? And God answered. But on, in this one, it's a process, right? Like, he prays, and he knows, he, he feels like God's going to do something, right? Because he says he heard it. I don't know if he heard it in the spiritual or what. It doesn't give us that detail. But it says he heard it, but there's no clouds. So he goes to pray, and it says seven times he prays, and then finally there's a little cloud. But when he sees that little cloud, that's it, right? Um, and so what happened to make it rain, right? What happened to make it rain? Because we saw that there was a drought wife. Idolatry, right? They were worshiping the wrong God, so that's what caused the drought. So what happens to make it rain? Yeah, in verse 39, it says, When the people saw, this is when the fire fell, they fell face down to the ground and cried out, The Lord is God. Yes, the Lord is God. There's repentance, and they turned back to God. Right? And so God answered. And I think that's how Elijah knew, more than like there being some like mighty voice of God that we don't read about. I think, I think he knew, because he's like, they, they've turned their hearts to God, and God's going to like meet them in this. Um, but keep in mind that Elijah's prayer for fire was answered immediately. His prayer for rain required persistence. God's inviting us to be people of prayer. Sometimes God answers right away, right? And sometimes it takes a little while. Um, but I think the really cool thing with Elijah is that he realized that God's promises were an invitation to prayer. Because remember we talked about last week, the Bible says that if the people went into idolatry, there would be a drought. So he prays, and there's a drought. Right? And the Bible says if they were turned to God, he'll hear, hear, hear from heaven and heal their land. Elijah knew that too. So they turned, turned back to God. Right? And he goes to pray because he's like, you promised that if your people will humble themselves and turn back to you, that you will hear us. And you will send your blessing again. And so he goes and he holds God accountable for the promises. Well, how do we hold God accountable for his promises in our life? Right. Well, we've we got to know what's in there. Right? <laughs> We're probably going to know what's in there. Because if you don't know God's promises, they're in the Bible. Right? But if you don't know them, then you can't, like, you can't pray. But I think as we read the Bible and we see the promises that God has for his people, then we can pray with confidence right? And know that that's an invitation, right? So we read, we read sometimes in the Bible different promises of God, and God's inviting us as believers who are in relationship with him to come in prayer and be like, hey, your word says this. So would you hear from heaven and would you do this? Because your word says this. And, and I think we really can trust him that there's promises. I guess sometimes he answers his promises to me in ways that that's not how I pictured it, Right? Because I have, like, one picture. But he always answers. He always answers. And so I think 
His promises are an invitation to prayer. So we're going to do that for a second. We're going to pray. Um, and we're going to pray for those four things. If you'll put them back up there. I think they're at the end. Um, because these look like we really good, our four really good things to pray about, right? And so we're going to pray. And if you don't have a relationship with God, man, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. You can, you can tonight say, Jesus, I want to know you. It was my Lord and Savior, and I want to start to follow you, right? And so we're going to pray for that. Um, and then if you want to pray, we can pray and ask God to be glorified, right, in our city, in our campus. We can pray for um, friends to turn to God and loved ones to turn to God. Um, and that's something, that, like, if you if you love the Lord and you have family members that don't love the Lord and friends that don't love the Lord, man, like, yes, tell them about Jesus, but pray, because God can accomplish more, right, in 30 seconds than I can, that I can accomplish in many, many words, right? So we pray, and then, and then we'll just ask the Lord to help us to pray sincerely. So if you guys would bow your heads, let's take a few minutes and pray. Lord, we just thank you that your promises are invitation to prayer. And God, we pray that you would um, help us to be people of prayer who seek your face, Lord God. And um, God, that you would help every single one of us to have a sincere heart when we pray, Lord God, to sincerely trust that you hear us and that you'll answer. God, that we're not just calling out to some empty God um, that's in the back room or asleep or on vacation that you're the true living God who never sleeps and never goes away. And you're always there to hear us and you're attentive to our cry. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would give us that confidence in our hearts tonight, in Jesus' name. And so, with the head still bowed and eyes closed, is there anybody here that says, I need that relationship with God? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. Lord, we pray for these two in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Um, and you can just pray along in your heart. Say, Lord, I'm trusting that you're the living God. And I pray that you would make me new through what you've done in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would help me to follow you and you would forgive my sins and teach me to live for you. In Jesus' name. And then, um, so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is there anybody um, that says, the Lord's put somebody else on my heart that doesn't know the Lord and I want to pray that God would lead them to Christ? Lots of you. So God, we pray in the name of Jesus for your glory in the earth. For God, your glory in Memphis, your glory on the University of Memphis campus. And God, we pray for our loved ones and our friends and those around us that don't know you. And God, we pray for those that are specifically on our hearts right now that don't know you, Jesus, that you would draw them to yourself. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would help them to know you're the way, the truth, and life. God, that um, before they take their final breath, Lord Jesus, they would come into saving relationship with you. And God, we pray that you would help us to find ways to share about you with them. But God, most of all, that you would just meet them with the gospel somehow. In the name of Jesus, amen.